We come now to the Lord's Word, to the sixth church among the seven, that is, to the church at Philadelphia. Now, this church is a real contrast to its neighboring church in Sardis. The church in Sardis, as we saw, is a dead church. But the Philadelphian church is very much alive. It's a very good church, and it's highly commended as one that keeps the Lord's word and as one that does not in any way deny his name. The Lord is well pleased with this church, and he gives it exceedingly great and precious promises. And if you choose to join one of the seven churches, this is probably the one that you'd want to join. And if you were a member of this church, you certainly would be very encouraged with this word from the Lord whenever the preacher would read it out that Lord's Day morning that they received it. And tonight I just want to focus on the first verse of this epistle to Philadelphia. The verse 7, the angel of the church, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. This introductory glimpse the Lord gives of himself to the church. He gives a glimpse of himself to every church. It's a different glimpse to each church. And this is the glimpse he gives of himself to Philadelphia. And it stands out. It's a, great, it's a great encouraging picture he gives of himself, as we'll see. You'll remember the bride in the Song of Solomon. She said that her beloved showed himself to her at the lattice. And it was a very encouraging sight. And that's what the Lord is doing here. He's, he's showing himself at the lattice of the church at Philadelphia. And he does to all the different churches, but he shows himself differently to each church, according as each church needs that particular glimpse. Let us see how he shows himself here to the church at Philadelphia. And when he shows himself, it, only, it doesn't only tell you something about the Lord, him showing himself, but it also tells you something about the church, why he had to show himself in that particular fashion and not in another fashion. And this is how he, he shows himself to the Philadelphian church. And so whenever you look at these descriptions at the beginning of each letter to the seven churches, you have to ask yourself two questions. You have to ask, first of all, how did the Lord particularly manifest himself to this church? What aspects of his glory or what parts of his beauty did he show that particular congregation? And then you have to ask the other question is, well, why was it that he showed those particular aspects to that church? And so those are the two questions that you ask every time you look at this description the Lord gives himself at the start of each epistle. Well, let's see how he shows himself to this congregation. And of course, the text is before us tonight in the providence of God. And we're looking through the lattice of the window of the Philadelphian church, and the Lord is showing himself to us in this way tonight 
in the text. The text is for us, the lattice, and he's showing himself to us tonight, and we want to see what he has to say to us here in Guildford. And I think we will be encouraged by the saint, because the Lord really wants to encourage Philadelphia, uh, as we, we shall see. And so Philadelphia sees the Lord thus. He, these things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that openeth, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. There, there are really three adornings here that the Lord is, if I may so to speak, that the Lord is adorning himself with when he shows himself to the church of Philadelphia. He wears a robe of holiness. These things saith he that is holy. And then he wears, as it were, the breastplate of truth. These things saith he that is true. And then he has on his shoulder the key of David. And these things saith he that hath the key of David. And he opens and no man shuts and he shuts, and he no, no man opens. He has the key, you see. And so these are the three sort of areas where he is revealing himself to the Philadelphian church. The first two names, holy and true, describe what he is. Holy and true. And then the third description describes what he has, the key, and what he does with that key. And so he is here showing himself in these three aspects to the church at Philadelphia. Now, the Lord's much more than that. You remember what the Catechism says, what is God? And the answer is, God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his wisdom, being, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And he's even more than all of that. But he just shows these three things. He highlights these three areas for the church in Philadelphia. And we have to look at them, and we have to ask, why is he doing that? We could open up this text in three heads, holy, true, and sovereign. That's how he depicts himself to this church, holy, true, and sovereign. And that's, we're only focusing on the first two tonight, holy and true, but that's what we need to see. We need to see the Lord Jesus as these things, holy, true, and sovereign. We need to see them, him as these things. And I emphasize the word need. We need to, in our pilgrimage, in our warfare, for our encouragement, this is what the Philadelphian church needed to see about their Savior at this particular point in their history. And we need to see him as these things as well for our spiritual health, for our spiritual safety, for our strengthening in the faith, and for just our encouragement in the things of God. There's nothing more encouraging than a glimpse of Jesus Christ. We get a glimpse through this lattice of the text a glimpse that should transform the Philadelphian church. And, of course, we have to look. You know, you have to look through the, ta the text, the lattice. You have to look by faith. And we need eyes of faith 
And how do we get faith? Well, we need circumcised ears to get faith because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we have to listen to this description of our Lord. And as we listen, we get the eyes of faith and we see him who is invisible. What does he say then? The one who bought us with his blood, the one who has called us to himself, and the one in whom we trust, and who in this congregation we serve, the Lord Jesus Christ. What does he tell us about himself, who wants to encourage us tonight? What does he say? Well, the first thing he tells us is, he's holy. These things saith he, that is holy. This comes first. Comes first. It's the most important aspect of the, of the, the, the deity. His holiness. We must never forget that this stands out prominent in our Savior. He's holy. We can never forget that the Lord Jesus is the Holy One. The seraphim around the throne, don't forget that. Whenever they worship the God of glory, they worship him as thrice holy. The three persons of the Holy Trinity are holy. That is mentioned actually in chapter 4, verse 8. You read of the four creatures. Each of them had six wings about them, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day nor night, saying, Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty. That's what the seraphim constantly sing around the throne day and night without wearying, without resting, announcing the holiness, the thrice holiness of God, the holiness of the Holy Trinity. The word is frequently used of the Spirit. We know that. He is the Holy Spirit. You'll remember whenever the Lord Jesus prayed to his Father, he called his Father, Holy Father. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the Holy Son of God. He's that holy child, Jesus. And here he comes and he says it, He that is holy is speaking these things. He that is the Holy One is showing himself to you at the window of the lattice. This is what I want you to know, my congregation in Philadelphia. I want you be, to be encouraged that there is present with you the Holy One. He's the Holy One of Israel. And the incarnation of our Lord and his being veiled in humanity did not change that. He is the unchangeably Holy One. This is a divine title, isn't it? He that is holy. Prayer is directed to him later on in the, the book under this title. In chapter 6, verses, verse 10, we read there that the souls, that they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, this is the title that they're using of their Lord Jesus Christ. And the souls are praying and they're crying and they're saying, Oh, oh Lord, holy and true. How long? They've, they've got a glimpse of this title. 
and they're using it. And so prayer is directed to him under this title as holy and true. The early Christians, that's how they called the Lord Jesus. They called the Lord Jesus the Holy One. That's a title we don't often use of our Lord Jesus today, but it was common use in the Christian church in the olden times. He's the Holy One. Remember how Peter used it in his preaching? He says, you denied the Holy One. That's who you denied. It was a serious denial. You denied the Holy One. And the Lord Jesus is telling this church, you haven't denied me. The Holy One, you haven't denied me. But the Jews did. And across the road from the Christian church is a synagogue. And they're denying the Holy One. But the Lord Jesus is coming to them and saying, I'm, I'm holy. Remember John said it as well. He says, you have received an unction from the Holy One. He's talking about the Lord Jesus because the Lord Jesus poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost and he's referring to Christ when he says, we've received the Spirit from the Holy One. So, so they called the Lord Jesus that, the Holy One, the Holy Child, thy Holy Child, Jesus. Of course, they got this title from the Old Testament Scriptures, didn't they? And they also got it from their observing the life of Jesus Christ. They saw that he was the Holy One. They frequently quoted Psalm 16 as a proof text for the resurrection of Christ. Uh, Peter, they quoted from it on a number of occasions. Peter did on the day of Pentecost, and he quoted it and said, Thou wilt not suffer, leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine Holy One to see corruption. The Lord Jesus couldn't corrupt in the tomb. Why? Because he's the Holy One, that's why. He's so different from sinners. He couldn't be held of death. It was impossible. And the simple reason is, he's the Holy One. Death cannot keep the Holy One. No grounds to keep him. No power to keep him. He has no sin. He's the Holy One. You see, that's the sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. But Christ is the Holy One. He has no sin, and he kept the law perfectly. And death has no dominion over him. He had sins, of course, that he was carrying, our sins by imputation, but he took them away in the sacrifice of himself, all the while remaining the Holy One. And death couldn't hold him. Thou wilt not suffer thine Holy One to see corruption. He didn't even corrupt away one bit. It is interesting that when the Lord Jesus Christ breached hell's gates, that the demons chiefly were conscious of what was to them this fearful holiness. Do you remember how on times the demons would say, oh, what have we to do with thee, Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of Israel. Even the devils knew it. Oh, they, they were terrified at the holiness. They knew that holiness was going to consume them as a burning fire. They feared it. It was awful, terribly terrible to them. It was a thing that, oh, it really shook them to the core. We know thee. You're the Holy One. And so the Holy One of Israel is frequently used in the Bible. It's actually a favorite title of Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah the prophet. 
He uses that expression more than 30 times, or about 30 times, more than in all the rest of the Old Testament Scriptures. As for our Redeemer, he says, the Lord of hosts is his name, the Holy One. Thus saith the Lord, the Redeemer, his Holy One, to him whom men despises, to him whom the nation abhorreth, to a servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes also shall worship because of the Lord that is faithful and the Holy One of Israel, and he shall choose thee. So this is a title for Christ. Thy maker is thine husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and thy redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. So he's coming to this church, and he's saying, that's me. He that is the Holy One. For such an high priest became us who is holy. Think often of the holiness of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's so pure. He is so without spot and blemish. A holy character. Now the question is, why does the Lord highlight this to Philadelphia? It's the first time in the book he says it. This is, this is the unusual thing about this picture that he shows himself. In all the other pictures that he shows to the churches, he borrows from that first vision. But here he doesn't. He says new things to them. He has a special glimpse of himself for them. I know he said he had the keys of hell in the vision, but this is different. He has the key of David here. Now that's, that's far more than beyond hell. This is complete sovereignty as Messiah. And so he, he's really giving this church a, an encouraging glimpse, a new glimpse. And he's telling them he's holy. He wants them to be knowing that. As I want you to know that tonight, as I want to know it more and more and realize it more myself, that our Lord Jesus is the Holy One. And maybe we should begin to use that title a wee bit more and when we're praying and thinking and talking, the Holy One. But why then does he show them this? Well, it is to encourage them. He's not saying it to frighten them. He's not announcing it as a, a, a chastening rod to scare them. No, this church doesn't need scared. This church doesn't need chastened. It's a very good church. He's coming along by a way of encouragement and saying, I, I'm, I'm holy. And they are to be encouraged because it's something to shout and sing about. It's something to rejoice about that they have in the midst, in the midst of their candlestick, that they are honored to have in the midst the Holy One the one who doesn't have to separate them himself from them, the one who doesn't go out, have to go outside the camp and be outside the door. No, he's in the midst of them, and he's coming in the midst of them, and he's saying, I'm the Holy One. He's in the midst of them as the Holy One, and he's welcome as the Holy One, and he's comfortable to be there as the Holy One in this faithful church. And so, as the words of Isaiah put it, cry out and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion. 
for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. And I think that's why he's telling them this. Here I am, the Holy One in the midst of thee. And it's as if that verse in Isaiah is in his mind. Cry out then and shout, because I'm here, and I'm here as the Holy One. And so it's, it's an encouraging thing. They have the Lord. They have the one who Isaiah so often spoke about. They have him looking through the lattice of their window into their church. And so it's encouraging for them. You see, if I could try to explain it a wee bit better, they, they have taken a stand for the Lord. It's clear that they have taken a stand for the Lord. It's clear that they are a separated congregation. They're separated from the synagogue of Satan. They don't have ecumenical fellowship with the synagogue of Satan. They are separate from that. The Lord says there in verse 9, he says, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews. He's referring to the Jewish synagogue. They're saying they're Jews but they're not really true Jews in, in heart and spirit, only in flesh, only in their word. And so he's saying, I I'm going to make them to come and worship at your feet. I'm going to do a work in your day, and I'm going to make them come out of that place over to your congregation and worship at your feet. You see, they're separated. They've taken a stand. They've come outside the camp. They've come outside the camp unto Jesus Christ, bearing his reproach. They've gone outside unto the Holy One. That's what they've done. They've separated just like Jesus Christ has separated. He's separated from the synagogue. He's separated from Judaism. He's crucified outside the city. And here's a congregation who are going without the camp on, onto him. The separated life. And that's why he says... I'm the Holy One. You've come out unto me. You're separated unto me. You'll not be going back into that place. But I tell you this, I'll bring some of them out of there and they'll worship with you in here. That's what he says. And so he's encouraging them. He, he's encouraging them that on their, in their stand. They're not for going back to Judaism. They're not ones who are denying his name. You see, whenever people mix in false religion and ecumenical worship and they couldn't cure less, you know what they're doing? They're denying Christ's name. That's what they're doing. They're denying Christ's name. Call it what they like. But Jesus looks upon it as the denial of his name. If you put your money into error and heresy, you're denying Christ's name. If you give it your support, even by your attendance, you're denying Christ's name. You have to go outside the camp bearing the reproach to the Holy One. The Holy One is separate. And we have to go out and be separate with Him. And this is what the Lord Jesus is talking about. He's encouraging them. He says, you're not alone. Yes, you've come out of Judaism. You've come out of all the paganism and the idolatry. But you've come out onto me, the Holy One. And so that's, this is how He's encouraging them. And they're, they're suffering as a result of that. They're keeping the word of Christ's patience as it's put. They have to do it patiently. They're suffering in doing it. You see, separation's lonely. It's very lonely. Separation is hard. We all want acceptance by everybody. We want to be loved by everybody. 
And we don't want to be looked upon as the, the, the sports spoilers. But, you know, the Lord's holy. And we just have to separate if we're going to identify with him. We have to do it. And so holiness becometh the saints. And holiness means separation from sin. And it's lonely, and you'll be hated, and you'll be persecuted. But the Lord Jesus comes and he says, These things saith he that is holy. You're just doing what I've called you to do in my holiness. To separate. So he's encouraging them. You have me on your side. It's not lonely. I'm here. Doesn't matter. You don't have to depend on, on them for opening doors and shutting doors. Oh, what the, the doors have shut. The doors have shut because they've separated from the synagogue. Well, let the doors shut. The Lord Jesus has the key. He's the one who opens the doors and shuts the doors. Let them do what they like. As long as we're standing outside the camp with Jesus Christ, he's the key. Not the apostates and not the devil. The Lord Jesus has the key. He says, you're doing right. I'm here. I'm holy. I'm with you. And you're stand with me. You're doing right. Be ye holy, for I'm holy. There's another reason why he reminds them of, of this. And it's linked to what he says next. He that is holy, he that is true. Both are to be connected and we'll, we'll, we'll go to that second point now, and we'll come back to this thought of joining the two of them together, holy and true, in, in a wee moment. So the second thing is then, the Lord tells them he is true. So he's holy, but he's also true. Now, what does this mean? Well, this is an aspect of his holiness that relates to his conduct. Holy describes the character of Christ. True describes his conduct. And he's utterly pure in himself. He's utterly right in himself. But the Lord acts towards his creatures. He does things towards his creatures. He especially speaks to his creatures. And in those, that conduct and in those actions, that holy one is true. It's true. He's not false. He acts towards his creatures in truth and truly. He acts justly. He acts powerfully. He acts mercifully. Yes, out of his holy character. But he also, the Lord is highlighting not the mercy. The Lord is highlighting not the justice. The Lord is highlighting not the power. He's highlighting truth. That's what he's highlighting to the Philadelphian church. I'm true. This separation is a matter of truth, you see. True. In other words, he's saying, I'm holy and sincere. I'm true. I'm faithful. Whenever you say a man is true, what are you saying? You're saying he's sincere. You're saying he's, he's real genuine. You're saying there's, there's no pretense. You're saying he's, he's not false. And certainly what he's saying is true. And you can believe him. You can believe a true man what he says. And here's the Lord Jesus saying, I'm true. And this is 
referred to very many times in the work in the in the Bible. Just and true are his ways, the Bible says. Lord God Almighty, true and righteous, the Bible says. So you especially know he wants us to know he's true, and he especially wants us to know that what he says is true. That's the emphasis. This is what I want you to think whenever I appear to you thus that his word is true. I put the emphasis on the saith. These things saith he that is holy and true. That's what, so the emphasis is upon the word. And so Jesus Christ, we have already seen in chapter 1, he is the faithful witness he is true. Uh, in the next church, he says to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, these things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness. And here he is to this congregation, and he's saying, I'm holy and I'm true. And so he's bringing both of these things together, and we come back now to the link. Why, why is he showing himself holy and true to this church? And the answer is, he's going to give them special promises. He's going to say special things to them in his word. And he wants them to believe those promises. He doesn't want them to have any doubt about it. He wants them to be comfortable, comfortable in, in the word of promise, to be assured to have the peace, to rest in his word, to rest in his promise, to be encouraged, to just keep on believing and keep on keeping the word and keep on obeying the word. And so that's why he says, these things saith he that is holy and true. The Lord often attaches his holiness to his true word. You know, it's not enough for him just to say, these things saith he that is true. He has to attach his holiness to it. He attaches, and holiness is really the beauty of God. It's, it's, his, it's, it's very much him. It's his dress. And he attaches all of that to his word, which is a true word anyway, but he's prepared to attach his very holiness, which is his glory, to it. That's an amazing thing. So it's not just enough to say it's a true word. It's a holy and true word that I'm saying, because I am holy and true. It comes from me, the holy and the true one. He's holy in nature, and therefore he will be true to his word. And so these things saith he that is holy, he that is true. What did David say? God has spoken in his holiness. He didn't say spoken in his truth. No. Though that would be true. But he goes beyond that. He's going to the very glory of God himself. He's spoken in his He's sworn by his holiness. Holy and true. Not just true, holy and true. 
What did Amos say? The Lord God hath sworn by his holiness. Now, that's mind-boggling. You know, it's just enough for God to say, just to say the thing. It's true. It's just enough for him to say it. But he is prepared to put his whole testimony of his whole holiness on the, on the line. He's spoken in his holiness. He swears, he lifts up his hand, as it were, to himself, and he swears by his holiness. Now, I don't know if you've thought deeply in that or not, but that is worthy of deep, deep consideration that the Lord would do that for us sinners. And even when he does that, we doubt his word. And we really need to watch ourselves. But the Lord isn't coming to discourage this church. He's not coming to rebuke it or punish it or scare it to half to death. No, he, he's encouraging it to, to believe. Keep on believing. I'm the Holy One. I'm true. If I tell you something, it will be fulfilled. And so that's what this is all about. To, to help their faith. To make them, they have a little strength, but this is to make them even stronger to go through that open door that he's given, to go through that open door in faith, to believe that those Jews, by the grace of God, will come down one day and be worshiping in the church with them. He that's holy and he that's true says it. This is why he, they can confidently believe He's so many things to say to them. For example, he says in verse 8, I've set before thee an open door. Do you believe that? He that's holy and he that's true has said that. I will make them of the synagogue of Satan. I'll make them to come and worship before thee. Do you believe that? I'll keep you from the hour of temptation. Do you believe that? It's the holy one and the true who says it. Him that overcometh, I'll make a pillar in the temple of my God. Do you believe that? He'll no more go out. I write upon him. I write upon his person the very name of God. Do you believe that? These are the things that he that is holy and true says. They're true. Oh, I can't believe that. A God would write his name on me, a poor sinner. Why would, why would he ever do that? In his grace. In his holiness and in his truth, he's promised to do it. And so, you see, what I'm trying to say you need to believe. And he's, he's showing himself so that we can believe. It should be easy for us to believe because he's showing us his holiness. He's showing us that he's true. He doesn't lie and deceive. So these are exceeding great precious promises. And they perhaps look like being, humanly speaking, not, not going to be fulfilled. But the Lord speaks them. And therefore they must be true. And that's what the Lord wants you and me to know tonight. Anytime we read the Bible, anytime he, he, he raised up prophets, he raised up holy and true prophets to bring his word. They were Christ-like in this regard. The Bible talks about the holy prophets. God spake unto us by holy prophets. And so he's given us his word. The holy and true one has given us his word. And brethren and sisters, we must we must believe it. We must not doubt his holiness. 
We must not doubt his sincerity and genuineness as truth. He wants you to see this. Actually, you can write this word over every chapter. Whenever you do your Bible reading every day, this is the kind of verse that you should start off with. These things saith he that is holy and true. You don't just jump into the Word. You know, you prepare your heart. You come before the Lord. You get a consciousness of His presence, and you get a consciousness of Him as holy and true. And what I'm about to read, Lord, is true, and I have to believe it, and I have to observe it, because you're holy and true who's given. So I suggest that's something you can do. This is a verse the Lord has given to help you improve your Bible reading, to benefit more from the Scriptures. You can write this over the flyleaf if you don't want to write it over every chapter. You can write it over the flyleaf of your Bible. I suggest that you do the very thing. These things saith he that is holy and true. There's no lie and deceit in it. It's the pure word of God for you, for your encouragement. And, and the same whenever you come to hear God's word in the house of God. When you come into the congregation, just uh, and, and you bow your head, maybe, or you just you well praying, maybe in yourself, just calling upon the Lord. Uh, I suggest you look through the lattice of the window and remind yourself of who Jesus Christ in the midst of us is. He's holy and true, and what He has to say to you this morning will have that characteristic. When you come to hear the Word, that is vital that you know it is the word of him who is holy and true. You know, the house of God is so vital to Christians. The stay-at-home Christian, in actual fact, would never have heard this word. Because this church in Philadelphia, the the pastor got this letter, and he, he, he read it out to the church. It's a church letter. This isn't a letter to read at home. I know we can read at home now in our Bibles, but originally that was not the intent of the Lord. It was for the congregation. There were no stay-at-home Christians in Philadelphia. If they wanted to have a word from the Lord, if they wanted to hear what the Lord said to them, they had to be out of God's house. And if they hadn't been out this Lord's day morning, they wouldn't have got this glimpse. They wouldn't have got this, this word. And so the house of God is very important, and the Lord is telling Philadelphia that as well. But every time you come to the house, just have a wee look through the lattice that the Lord shows you as you enter in through the door. So do that. Keep seeing him, brethren and sisters, who is holy and true. And so he is. He has promised you so much. He's promised you salvation. He says, him that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Have you not got assurance? You haven't seen him who's holy and true. You need to look at him who's holy and true. You don't look in here for feelings. Have we got these feelings that feel safe? No. You have to look at him who's holy and true. He said, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. And when you see him who's holy and true, you just believe him. And you have assurance. That's how you get assurance. Just by seeing the Lord as true and genuine and real in his promises. And he's promised you salvation. And he'll not disappoint you. He'll not let you down. He's holy and true. He's holy and true. So be comforted. 
He'll have mercy upon you. He'll have pardon for your sins because he's holy and true. He'll give you never-failing grace. You'll find that he says, my grace is sufficient for you, whatever the trial, whatever the problem. My grace will be there. It will be sufficient. And you need to believe it because he's holy and true. And if he's opened the door, he says, I've opened the door. You need to believe it. He's holy and true. And then you need to go through that door in faith, trusting him. He's holy and true. This is, the, this is why the Lord is showing this to this congregation. And so, well, we'll just leave it there then. And may the Lord be pleased just to bless it to our thoughts tonight.